When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Hello and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you're listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hapgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. How are you? Excellent. Now we have a huge show of Real Adventures this morning. We're talking Southern Bluefin tuna off the top of it. Been a huge amount of discussion from Vic Fisheries and also... Um, University the, of Tasmania. Yep, the study that has just been conducted and concluded. Um I guess we're going to hear conversation from both sides and we're going to dissect it throughout the morning. Um, up first is Dallas De Silva from Fisheries Victoria to talk through uh, this survey. Now, we spoke about this last week, Aaron. Yes, this we is did. the recreational fishing for southern bluefin tuna in Australia for 2018-2019. Um, it was worked through with the University of Tasmania and IMAS, Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies. Dallas, can you shed some light on... Um, some really interesting data that has been collated, but perhaps something that's got quite a few anglers, um, I suppose, questioning its validity considering other um, surveys that have been conducted over the last 10 years. Um, can you talk us through it? Because it's quite interesting. 270 um, tonnes has been the national estimate, um, which does seem out of kilter. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, uh, Patty and Red, for having us on your show. It's a, it's a really important issue uh, for recreational fishers uh, you know, who love catching their tuna. The survey was done in, in 2019, and that survey basically stopped at Apollo Bay um, from you know, the South Australian Victorian border to Apollo Bay. It didn't go east of that, and we know that tuna is caught well east of Apollo Bay now. You know, they get them down the bottom of Port Phillip Bay and the Rip at the bottom of Western Port and uh, where you are there, Red, on the ba- on the surf coast and also the bass coast. So even as far as Gippsland, you know, southern bluefin tuna are caught. So um, we don't believe the survey covered the areas that it needed to cover in Victoria. Uh, it came up with a, a recreational catch estimate for Victoria of just on 80 tonnes. Now, Victoria did a survey back in 2011, and we found just our catch alone was about 250 tonnes. Mm. Uh, and they're catching them, you know, much further east, it's, a, it's an all-year-round fishery here in Victoria, uh, and it's not just confined to the southwest, as we all know. So, um, yeah, we've got real concerns about the survey that was done, and perhaps more importantly, what, what some people might not be aware of is that that data is being used to justify a 5% allocation for recreational fishers, for SBT, nationally. And at the same time, the commercial catch is 95%. So... You know, the 5% that they're setting aside 
for recreational fishers, that's the, the Commonwealth Government that is, um, we don't believe that's fair, we don't believe it's reasonable and yeah, we've got lots of questions. Now Dale, as a Vic Fisho myself, it's good to see that you guys aren't just there to stop fishing in plain sight. So you're not going supporting this, going bang, tuna fishing gets shut out. Us Vic, Vic Fishos, and I'll speak on behalf of us because I'll say that we are grateful that we have a government that's in place to put a sustainable fishery there, whether it's your 20 whiting, your 10 squid, your 2 bluefin tuna, or whatever it is. It's great to see you guys voicing this and trying to help support us so we have a sustainable fishery for the future. So we, as anglers, appreciate that Appreciate that from our uh, from our government. Yeah, well, thanks, Red, because you know, this is a really watershed moment in you know, the history of southern bluefin tuna management and, you know, carving up that pie of southern bluefin tuna, 5% just for recreational fishes and, as I said, 95% for, for commercial. Um, it is a really defining moment um, for recreational fishing, you know, for tuna going forward and all the jobs and, and uh, you know, benefits it brings to our regional economy, all the, the supermarkets, the hotels, the tackle shops, the petrol stations that all rely on you know, such a great, great fishery. Um, 5% is, is, is a real worry and is really you know, putting all that at risk. So um, thanks again for your time and uh, yeah, we appreciate your support. Yep, no, fantastic. Dallas De Silva from Fisheries Victoria. Thanks, Dallas. No worries, guys. I've got to go pick up the young fella. Thanks very much. Sean Tracy joins us from the Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies in the University of Tasmania. Sean, thanks for your time this morning on Real Adventures. You're welcome. Now, clearly there seems to be a, a misalignment between some of the, the, the data that's been released and just how that's being, I suppose, educated to recreational anglers right around the country. Dallas De Silva, we had him on um, you know, just moments ago, and he certainly questioned the the validity of the studies. Now, have we educated people around what this study is for, the reason behind it, and why it's being done? Because clearly, there's a little bit of grey that I think anglers are seeing and recreational anglers are seeing around the country with why this is being done and the facts. Um, around how this could potentially change the fishery or does it potentially change the fishery? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question, Pat. So basically this has come about um, as an obligation of Australia for the international management arrangement around southern bluefin tuna. So uh, for many years, you know, Australia gets um, a piece of the pie. So if you imagine it's a global stock of bluefin and the management agency called the CCSBT they have the pie, they cut it up into slices. Australia gets a chunk of that, sorry, a slice of that pie. And <clears throat> traditionally, it's always gone to the commercial sector. Because if we go back to 1994, when this um, CCSE started, there wasn't a lot of wreck fishing for bluefin going on because it had been so heavily overfished by the commercial sector. But obviously, since that time, and particularly sort of in the 2000s, we saw quite a resurgence in the recreational fishery. Um, and it was recognised that we weren't reporting that. So that's where this survey has come about. It's a very large national survey um, covering Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria, and New South Wales and Tassie. Um, and we've come up with a number now which can be used to provide uh, basically a set-aside for the recreational fishery. Aaron, off the back of Dells's interview, you voice your concerns around or you were happy that fisheries were almost fighting for the rights well, just of fighting, anglers. Yeah, fighting for us. Yep. Um, 
that was off the back of um, this study being used to um, justify the allocation. But the way you've worded it, Sean, it's gone from 100% commercial fishery to now 95%. And Vic Fisheries, I suppose, qualms with it were going forward this was going to be a reduction in the, the amount of fish that recreational anglers were going to be able to take. Is that the case? No, I, look, the federal minister has come out and said explicitly that there is no need for any change in the recreational fishery. So, you know, it's, it's business as usual. Um, so great news. It's actually, it is, a, it is great news. And it's also great news that, uh, and this is quite groundbreaking for the first time, that a recreational fishery is actually being recognised uh, in a Commonwealth managed species such as bluefin. Um, so now there is security for, you know, anglers and also uh, you know, the charter boats, et cetera, that rely on this, this industry, that they are recognised uh, federally um, as an important player in this fishery. Because there was talk around the changing of bag limits, um, and that's clearly been wiped on the head. Uh, yep, yep. The, the Federal Minister, the Fed, has come out quite clearly and said, yep, no need to even consider it now. It was on the table prior to... Um, uh, the survey, as, as were many things, I was sort of going, you know, where are we at with this? You know, we, we haven't been reporting our recreational catch, inter- catch internationally. We don't know what it is. Um, you know, are we going to have to act? So they were probably a bit uh, forced before the cart uh, with that. And, you know, a lot of the state agencies said, no, we want to wait to see what the numbers are. And the numbers have come out in such a fashion that you know, the, the peak bodies at a national level for the recreational fishery and the commercial sector have come to an agreement that they're happy with, um, you know, with, with the allocation uh, to the rec sector or the set aside to the rec sector covering what the survey estimate was plus a buffer. Um, uh, so there's a bit of room to move. And this is a, that's a really important thing. This is a, a national survey and a national fishery. We're not looking at state by state. Um, now obviously, uh, they're managed at a recreational level with bag limits, state by state, and we see some differences. But this is a national um, set aside for the recreational sector. It's not a state by state one. So that allows for the ebbs and flows between the states. So, um, like for example, as we know uh, in the survey, we found that South Australia had um, quite a good catch here. Um, that was driven in part by some good catches at the front of the Florio Peninsula. Um, but in the survey year, it was a bit of a quieter year in Victoria. Um, there was a little bit of activity out the front uh, of Port Phillip Bay. But uh, in the survey period, that wasn't massive. But this year, we've seen a switch in that. So we've seen um, definitely a lot more fish being caught out in front of Port Phillip Bay. Well, Sean, why you got Florio- you on that topic there is that's one of the biggest things that Dallas was stating as well, that the survey when it was conducted was obviously Southwest Vic, probably the key hotspot a few years ago on the bluefin tuna but it's such a prolific uh, fishery now right along the whole of Victoria where the, the actual survey wasn't done conducted along the whole of Victoria it was just one sector of Victoria and the, is that come down to the numbers of the tuna that are actually being taken for the study? Uh, look so it's, a, it's an interesting point we know we know that the fish moved back and forth so the, the point there was that this year has been quite a year off the Florio Peninsula, off Victor Harbour, and more off Melbourne. So that's that ebb and flow between states. So, yeah, we, we know they're um, out the front. We came and did some fat tagging this year, the fish that are out the front um, of Port Phillip Bay. In this survey year, though, keep in mind it was a 12-month period. Um, so summer of 2019 
was a much quieter year out the front. Um, and then we know that because we had the charter boat, uh, all the charter boat operators doing logbooks for us. And they had about 24 fish caught out the front in that year. This year, absolutely different story. But the other thing to keep in mind is we've replicated um, in Victoria, replicated the survey method they did um, back in 2011. So we've used exactly the same region. Um, so that, that drop is not due to us not surveying out the front because they didn't do that either back then. So, so, you're, so, you're saying, so you're stating that the survey that you've commenced is as in the, is the same... Sorry, yeah, you've just finished it. And that there has done the same areas that Vic Fisheries Survey actually did in, I think, what year was it? 2011, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same areas. Um, we've actually surveyed the full year where they did um, five months. And well, there's some interesting stats around that as well. Um, so, you know, they estimate about 243 tonne. You know, has, that has dropped a lot by about 66%. But a couple of other things that have happened there is that the effort, so the amount of boat days, has only dropped by about 20%. So people are still going and enjoying the fishery um, and getting out there. A couple of other things have seen the release rate go up from 26% to 31%. So we're seeing that anglers are actually releasing more fish. Um, one of the notes that they had in the, the previous report from the previous survey was that 79% of um, people indicated if they were releasing fish, it was due to hitting their bag limits. All right, so people were bagging out a lot back in 2011, so a lot of fish were being taken. In this survey, we only had 5% of all trips where tuna were targeted um, reaching their catch limit. And, and if you think of that, then in terms of successful trips, so that's where you caught at least one blue thing, um, only about 20% of people were taking their bag limits. So there's been a real shift in the mentality as well. People aren't just going out and taking every single fish. So, yeah, so in terms of effort, it's um, yeah, only down by 20%. John, we really appreciate your time this morning on Real Adventures. I feel like there's a little bit of uh, clarity in the water from a bit of a grey situation for recreational anglers. So we really appreciate your time. No worries. As I said, business as usual. So go out and enjoy what's an amazing fishery. Well, that certainly clears it up. I, I just think there's a bit of a miscommunication here between... The study, Vic Fisheries, great to have both Dallas and Sean on, um, but it's a pretty clear picture, Redmond, that it's business as usual as a recreational fisho. And that's the important thing is the rec, rec fishos. You, you get one set of information, you get the other. Um, really important to dissect both, but from that, there isn't going to be a change. And as a rec angles. angular, it's a very good feeling having two parties fighting for the one thing. Does that make sense? So it's Absolutely. Like, it's like, I know they've got their differences, but it's, as a rec angler, you feel like to yourself, oh, we've got a fair bit of support gun on here. No matter what it's going to be, it's going to be on our side. I'm not taking sides. I'm staying out of this, to be honest with you, Patrick. But basically, it's, it's, it's great to see the support that we are having for our fishery here in Victoria and Australia. Huge episode of Real Adventures coming your way this morning. If you want to join in the conversation, make sure you head to our Facebook or Instagram site. Plenty of conversation this morning happening <laughs> around Southern Bluefin Tuna commercial commercial sector, the recreational sector, but that certainly has cleared a few things up. Plenty more Real Adventures after the break. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club where we answer your questions from social media. 
If you've got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures Facebook or Instagram page. You're not massive on Twitter, are you? So you don't send it into Twitter. You know what? I actually went on Twitter the other day and because all I get some reason notification is Patrick Dangerfield retweeted and I don't even know what it means. So I tried to work it out and I still don't know what it means. Well, you've got to turn off your notifications. You're the only one I get. It only happens once every few weeks. I don't know why. Well, you and DC after the, uh, the blackout during the week. But we're not going to talk politics on this show. We're here to talk... Fishing Redmond. The first question you've got is from Phil. Red, if you're chasing barrel tuna, how many lures do you have out and what colours do you tend to lean towards? Now, you haven't gone down and fished Portland as of yet, so let's take it as if you were fishing there this week. How are you going to set up and prepare for that? Because you don't know where they've been fishing well and you don't know what lures or colours have been fishing well, so how would you set up? First of all, with the weather that's predicted and the long weekend, I'm going to just have all my fenders out around my boat so no one crashes into me because I reckon there's going to be a, <laughs> I reckon there'll be a few boats down at Portland chasing these tuna in the weekend, Patrick. I was wondering where you were going with it. I'm like, what, like, are you worried about the fish hitting the fender? or No, just the boats. Do uh, you think it's going to be that bad? It's, uh, it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there'll be a few down there, Patrick, because the fishing's been fantastic. But if I was to head down to Portland this week, uh, not being there, I would have obviously kept a close eye on the social media, as most people do before they head down. Uh, I know Matty Hunt got some nice fish during the week just behind the some rock. beautiful fish. After, yeah. the, after the rough weather, he got some really nice schoolfish very close by and a very quick bag out too. Off the uh, back of the... That'd be how far from the boat ramp? <sighs> back of the rock. It's not far. Probably nah. five k's, six k's. Yeah, it's yeah nice, not far. It? Yeah, yeah, and you're in quite calm conditions, usually travelling... Uh, along the along toward, along the short the foreshore there towards Lawrence Rock, so mm. mate, yeah, be be careful when you do go there. If the spoils up, it can be a bit nasty at times, but it's generally pretty good. If you if it's bad enough to be out there, you probably shouldn't be crossing there anyway. So yeah, yeah. safe easiest way to put it. But I'd be heading out there with probably four or five game rods. Now, I'm not probably going to target the school tuner as such. It's not for me. I would rather get a big fish, and I'd persist. I wouldn't try and get distracted by the school fish, but if you're chasing a barrel, hence the question here, five lures, I'm going to have different colours. I'm going to have a red bait out. I'm going to have a lumo out. I'm going to have a slimy mackerel sort of colour out, and possibly a squid colour, so like your orange sort of colour, but I'm going to talk to people, and I'm going to find out with my fifth lure whether I put a diver out or if I want to match a colour to what the fish have been feeding on. So if I look in the water and I can see that it's fixated on red bait, I'd probably put another red bait out. Two red baits, if I see them on slimy mackerel, I'm probably going to put another bluer, bluer lure out to try and match the bait, match the hatch. So four lures at the start, fifth lure will be ready whether it's a deep diver or the other, other lure. I don't like having too many lures out when I'm chasing barrels just because I don't want a five-way on big fish. So school fish, you can get away with hooking four or five on the regular, but barrel tuna, it's quite hard. And I've had, I had a three-way last year, which I never had before, and we got two and lost one. But it is hard work when you have big 100-kilo fish on. Always dreamed of one of those, but uh, never quite, <laughs> quite happened, Aaron. Um, before I move on from yep. there, um, there's going to be a huge amount of boats. Suggestion of... Following the crowd, you know, the birds come up and you have literally, you'll have 150 boats that'll head towards mm, the same spot. You're, you're going to have to be a lot of predictive fishing. Yep. You're going to have to predict things and watch things. Uh, what I mean by that is I won't have lures in the water. Yep. I'll be moving fast. And it sounds selfish, but the other bloke next year is going to do it anyway, so you may as well do it. Selfish fishing, I'm going to be trying 
watching the birds, picking one out of the sky, you'll notice you there's always a high bird. And if there's some below it, that one's... T- I, th- I feel as though it's communicating, and that's the one looking and waiting for the bait to come up. The higher a bird in the air, the deeper the bait. The lower he comes down, the shallower the bait. So being smart, watching your bird life, trying to be the first boat to pass, I'd be getting out early. I'd be like to be the first boat out because quite often on sunrise you'll get a beautiful big tuna as that sun comes up. So being out there first. But like I said, it's going to be hard with boat traffic, honestly. They've also got the full moon. So full moon's today. So Saturday, yeah, I'm pretty sure the full moon's today. So it can play havoc on certain species of fish. Dodge tides, tides aren't that good. So definitely worth going down there with the amount of fish that are there. But just be mindful with the boats. Work away. I wouldn't be following the boats if it was me. I'll be going the other way. So that would be me. Next question's for you, Patrick. It is from Darren. Danger, now trout season nearly in full swing. What would your ideal fly fishing rod and reel be? Uh, well, it's not in uh, full swing for our... I like to fly fish uh, Redmond. The Otways, it closes this week. So unfortunately, they're, uh, that's you know on the back burner. But around the state, I, I still love... Uh, and I think they're anyone that loves fly fishing, their, their favourite rod... Generally, going to be a sage. They're an American company. Um, beautiful, beautiful rods. Um, they're ex- on the on the expensive side. Well, um, what expensive? How? What are you talking? Oh, sort of nine hundred plus. Yeah. Um, there's there's one called the X, um, which is you know I'm a fan of, um, and it's sort of you can use it for sort of multiple applications. I think that's important. So, um, but I like it to be to be light. You know, you don't want it to be to be too heavy. Don't sort of, arm. No, it's sort of nine foot long. Well you're lifting it all day. All day. Um, you know, you don't want to be you don't want to be fishing with a um, you know, something that you just can't lift up. Does the nine hundred dollars cover a reel or do you have to add a little bit more into that too? No, nah, nine hundred bucks doesn't well it's sort of opposite to well not opposite to what you normally would fish in terms of, you know, you need a really nice reel and then some people go cheaper on the rod. It's the opposite with fly fishing. You spend your money on the rod. Um, and then the, the the reel doesn't matter as much. I've got a few different ones. I've got a, a, stay, a Sage Spectrum C. Um, I've got a Rennington Behemoth, um, which I use for my saltwater fly fishing. Um, but I like to, you know, you know, six to eight weight. Nothing too nothing too heavy, um, and even lighter when you're fishing the um, fishing in the Otway. So it just depends where you're going. All right, uh, last question from Billy. Billy, boys, I love the show. Now we all know that we need a... Uh, now we all know what we need on a boat, like the engine, the sonar, etc. But what is the one novelty you cannot go without? So this is the uh, the accessories that Dangerfield has about 64 of, so it's going to be harder for him. Uh, Billy, I think um, his language is very similar to yours, hence why I couldn't read out the damn question. So good on you, mate. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> the, one, the one thing I can't do without... Uh, I'm not sure. What do you? Th- what's your pie warmer? Yeah, actually, I have one on my old boat. That as a as a person, amazing. As a person that fishes, angler that fishes every day, it's hard to get motivated to take lunch out every day. It honestly is, but it's easy to grab a 24 pack of uh, party pies out of the freezer <laughs> that I stocked up and chuck it in the pie warmer, or even those cheap pizzas. Is it? Was it you and I that had the pizzas go everywhere? Or was it? Yeah, I think it was, we've had them go everywhere in the in the, <laughs> in the pie warmer. But I think as a novelty, a pie warmer. 
See, I'm going to stop you there and say it's it's not a novelty. That's a um, that's, <laughs> that's a necessity. That's a necessity. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. If you got a question for Aaron or I, make sure you send it into our Real Adventures Facebook and Instagram pages. Uh, it's now time for our dream boating destination. Our dream boating destination this morning is the beautiful Kangaroo Island, which has been decimated with um, the incredible fires that we saw. Um, the back end of last year, and Phillip Island, uh, Phillip Island, Kangaroo Island, uh, was no exception yet there, Redmond. So it's certainly an area that we should be looking to go back to. Um, catch the sea link over there. It takes about 45 minutes and really support that a local economy. Have you fished there before? No, I haven't, but I did watch an episode uh, on just by chance of Paul Worsling the other week, and I do love uh, watching Paul's stuff. He does some great stuff, and he was down on Kangaroo Island, uh, and to see what he was catching and how untouched this area is, it is, to me, it looks like a place that we have to go because no one's there. And it's untouched fishery. So it is. It's, a, it's fantastic. It's Australia's third largest island, and that includes Tassie, 540 kilometres of coastline. So there's plenty of places to cast a line, Patrick. Some, uh, some of the great salmon and whiting fishing. Fantastic. Yeah, as know, good as it gets. Australia there, absolutely. And the good thing about it is there's plenty of land-based options. You've got Vivian Bay Jetty, Penshaw, American River, Kingscote and Emu Bay. They've all got some sort of structure which you can fish off. And don't be don't be scared if you catch something big off those piers because some big fish live around there, whether it's kingfish, sharks, squid. I was going to say some big fish with some big dorsal fish. <laughs> some big bruises. But uh, whiting and snapper as well. It's a it's a fantastic place to fish land base. With a boat, you can obviously take a boat on the Sea Link, or you can hire a charter over there. And there are plenty of charter boats on offer, just to name a few. You've got the Kangaroo Island Fishing Adventures, you've got Emu Bay Fishing Charters, and Kangaroo Island Charters. And there's plenty of places to stay as well. You can head to Google, or you can stay at the Mercure Kangaroo Island Lodge, Kangaroo Island Seafront, and the Western KL Caravan Park. So jump. You can't say you head to Google. Like you got, you're the expert. You've got to, you've got to say, yep, this is this is where I'd stay. Like I named a few, but you want to, you I don't want to just specifically give these three. Or I want to spread the love. Okay. So right. head to Google, jump on, type in kangaroo. <laughs> you should. Island. I actually think you should work for Google because you reference them quite a bit on this show. That's because Google knows everything, and if sometimes they tell the truth, and sometimes they tell lies, and sometimes they give you facts that you shouldn't. Speak on radio, so that's why you head to Google and find yourself your best place to stay. Inside the, joke at the beautiful Kangaroo Island, our dream boating destination for this morning. On real adventures, it's time to get all aboard for Dometic Mobile Living Made Easy. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for all aboard. Thanks to the Dometic CIB Twenty Six Cooler Bag. Keep food and drinks cool on your adventures. Our special guest this morning is Trevor Holmes, formerly of Victorian Inland Fishing Charters. Good morning, Trev. Yeah, good morning, boys. How are we? Trev, I'm starting. Pat and I had a discussion before the show, and I think we've uh, come up that you're actually more made out of steel now than anything else. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a few bits and pieces being put in over the last couple of years, and not going too good at the moment. They're, they're all a bit sore and a few need to service, I think. Well, that's what happens with the colder weather. Now, Trev, um, you have been back on the water, though. We've seen on your socials you've been smashing a few redfin and some bloody good size ones at that. Before we get yep. into that, um, your business, where is it running at the moment? Can you give us a bit of an update on that for those that are looking to, to head inland and chase some redfin and chase some trout at different stages throughout the year? 
Yeah, look, um, over the last few months, I've done the transition and handed the business over to, to Michael Evans, who's still running it as Victorian England Charters and quite successfully. Um, Nick's based in Geelong, uh, as I am now. And, uh, yeah, he, he's having a real good crack at it. And he's got a bit some big news in the pipeline with a new boat almost on order. So, yeah, he's going to do wonders with it, I think. I'd have to get Mick on next. Just yep. just moved to one of the uh, the, the great places in uh, Australia, Aaron. It's the beautiful sunny Geelong. It's warm outside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what what will Mick be chasing over the next few months, Trev? So obviously trout's about to kick in. There's a few other species on offer that he'll be searching. Yeah, look, he's been doing really well down at Purrumbeet when he's got down there for a fish. Um, obviously, the, the lockdown laws have restricted him a fair bit, but uh, prior to that, he was fishing Hilden and doing quite well up there on the Cod and Yellows. So, yeah, look, um, people that want to want to chase him up or, or track him down, um, Paige is still the same, Victorian Inland Charters, but you just won't get me answering the questions now. It'll be Nick, so, yeah, no big change. Uh, I saw uh, on your Facebook, Trev, you posted some photos with some redfin. With the temperature the way it is now, does that affect the redfin catch at all? I thought it might. Clearly, it hasn't affected your catches because they've been you know, up around that 50 centimetre mark, some absolute monsters. Yeah, look, those big guys were out of a private dam, but uh, look, most of the reservoirs right throughout the southwest are going pretty well at the moment for redfin. and. I think, you know, anyone who wanted to catch a trophy now is the perfect time. The really big fish are out and about. Um, they get pretty hungry this time of year, like the trout too, and they look to stack that protein on and they're feeding quite freely. So, you know, it's a matter of utilising that, that best time of the day, which is first light, last light for your redfin, because that's when uh, your land-based anglers do better because the fish are in shallow feeding. So, yeah, that's the, the ideal time to chase them. Are you chasing them with bait at this time of the year, given it is a lot colder? The, f- the fish generally don't, they're not swimming as freely or as hunting as much as they are in the warmer climates. Is that accurate? Um, look, that theory is great, but look, I've been doing better on the chatterbaits at the moment, running those, um, being noisy in the water, and I enhance them with the plastic, so they do actually look like they've got a, a bait fish chasing them. You've got to get that vibration and rattle and... You know, if you can hit them on the lat lines and get them get them awake, they'll come they'll come in and swoop on it. So yeah, that's been my best uh, best method of late is the chatterbait. Trev, with your experience over the past hundred years chasing freshwater fish, where would be the you next? Can't insult her, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Trev's all right. I'm not that old. Oh, nearly. Yeah, but... say, do it properly, Trev. Over the last ninety years. <laughs> Oh, God, I don't know, it's worse. But over the past few years, Trev, a bit of experience in the freshwater scene. Now, there's a lot of anglers looking for stuff to do. Now that we can't travel, there's people not in Bali at the moment. They're not in Queensland trying to find the heat. They're trying to find fish, and a lot of people are searching for trout when they can't get out on Port Phillip Bay and chase the whiting. What are the top three areas that you would be start to search for? Well, not necessarily trout, anything in the freshwater scene. Yeah, look, I would say up around the Grampians area, the, the lakes up there have been fishing pretty well and not a lot's been publicised about it. Um, the Sleeping Giant, I guess, up there has been Lake Belfield, which is right in you know, the tourist town of Halls Gap or just south of Halls Gap, uh, fishing really well for both browns and rainbows. So that would be a prime location. Um, I have had a couple of reports in the last couple of days of Lake Bolak starting to fish well. Um, I think anyone who got on the, the big rainbows there a couple of years ago would remember, you know, the uh, the Bolak footballs that came out and they're starting to show their, their ugly heads again. So that'd be a bit of fun worth a go. 
Um, Parambeet and Bullamary are both fishing quite well down in the southwest. So, yeah, some pretty good options there. What would you uh, consider the number one place to catch a big uh, cod? Because I've seen on social media the past few days there's some seriously big cod getting caught right around the state. Yeah, look, I think probably hard to beat would be Lake Yield, and there's some absolute stonkers coming out of there at the moment. There's a lot of fish over a metre, and there's a lot of those fish up in the 60s, 70s. So there's a good variation there. And, you know, in, in past years, you'd probably go there and it'd be hit and miss. But now I think with the variation there in sizing, um, if you can time it right, well, you know, you don't know what you can pull up. There's some really big fish there. Trev, what about, have you had a gun out of late? We've seen uh, a few nice sort of captures. You've obviously been firing off a few. There's a few less foxes in Victoria. Yeah, look, you know, I haven't done anything for a couple of weeks, but maybe this weekend I might might head back up to Toronto for a few days. But, uh, yeah, I've been, been dogging the foxes up there. I think I've shot about 35 up there in the last couple of trips. So um, the boys up there think it's great because it's just right on lambing time. So... Saves them a few dollars and, yeah, gives me a bit of fun. You're speaking of Tolondo, you've obviously moved back to Geelong because uh, you can't walk anymore. But you've moved back to Geelong, Trev. You're killing <laughs> I'm having a go at him I'm today. Gonna, I'm going to replace you with Trev. <laughs> How well, is... I can walk, but only just. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting another rock on his hip. Uh, it's your hip, isn't it? Or do you knee? No, I'll be getting both knees replaced. No, both soon. knees, yeah. But yeah, take us yeah. back up to Tolondo. You've moved back to Geelong, but how is the lake fishing? Is it worth the punters heading up there and trying to catch some fish? Because it's a beautiful lake, as we know. I've been fortunate enough to fish it with yourself. Look, sadly, Tolondo has taken a bit of a hit. Um, I think, you know, if anyone was keen enough to get out there, and like I mentioned before, uh, fish the shallows early and late in the day, I think you'll still get some nice redfin in there feeding. Um Unfortunately, it's overrun by carp. You could just about walk across the carp in there at the moment. So I think um, fisheries are going to make a decision soon on which way to go with the lake, whether to tip some more water in or maybe dry it out and start again. Hmm. So let's talk through that because it is a really interesting sort of position to be in because it's been such a popular fishery, but when carp were released, clearly it's it's wreaked absolute havoc. What would draining it do to the local sort of fishing economy because clearly with fires, COVID-19, you know, most of these destinations right around the country, whether they be fishing or tourism or what have you, they've been smashed, Trev. To to drain it in itself, it might seem like it's the right thing to do from a fishing perspective, you know, that sort of short-term pain, long-term gain, Um, but an area like, you know, a lot around the country that rely on tourism and fishing and, and people coming in and experiencing the environment. Yeah, look, I, I think there's probably some lessons to be learned from this um, and one of those that we did discuss very early on when we knew it was turning a big pear shape was uh, filtration on the inlets of it to stop the ingress of carp. So we're hoping that if it does uh, dry out and we can get rid of the carp out of there, um, that we will never be faced with this problem. One thing to keep in mind with these outlays, their performance is always best in their first three or four years. So yep. uh, dried out ground, freshly flooded up, new stock in there, bang, it'll go crazy. Yeah. Perfect. Be interesting to see. Mm. Trev, really appreciate your time. Uh, obviously, being back in Geelong, we uh, we might have to call on Trev a bit more, Redmond. We will. We might even get him to host the show because I could be murdered after this by Trev <laughs> oh, on the yeah. way home. So Good, good, good Bell Park boy. <laughs> 
Thanks. No, no we, we will uh, definitely catch up down the track not too far. Sounds good, Trav. Thanks for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. Good to talk. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Trav. Trevor Holmes, that was all aboard for Dometic Dometic Mobile, living made easy. It's time for Red's review. Redmond, what do you have for us this weekend? I have the winter whiting, which I've been hanging to talk about. And now it's winter, I can call them that, which is always a good thing because they've been terrific. Big fish, heaps of them, and tasty. So anyone out there telling me that uh, I take too many, you're just jealous because my friends and family are eating fantastically. So there's... (laughs) Well, they don't go far enough. To tell you the truth, I've got two bags left in the, the fridge and freezer. So I've got one in the fridge, one in the freezer for the weekend. Mm-hmm. And I've given all the rest out. So on the way home, I gave two bags to Kari's parents. So you're, you two think, to mum and dad. That's think my like bag done. Robin Hood of uh, whiting fishing. I'm fortunate enough to have it as a job and I'm fortunate enough to be good enough to catch them, unlike these jealous people that aren't. No, I won't <laughs> get into that. But winter whiting. So I've spoken about these in depth over the past few years and I do this the same time each year just to refresh your brain at home. And what you're going to need, first of all, we're going to be talking about your tackle first. So you obviously need a rod. I'm running a bit of a heavier rod. I'm running a sort of three to eight pound reaction, just a little bit heavy, samurai. The reason for that is fishing down the bottom end of Port Phillip Bay heads, seriously strong tide, sometimes four and a half, sometimes five knot tides. So I'm using sinkers up to four ounces, which your traditional light whiting rod can be a bit, it's not too light, but it's not as nice to use when you've got a four ounce sinker pulling on the end of it. These fish are so big, it's also nice to have that heavier rod in on your side to be able to lift the fish up as well and not think it's going to break. So when you lift a widening, you shouldn't be reaching over the side to grab the fish because quite often, naturally, as you do that, you naturally drop, drop slack in the line. And if that hook isn't... And you lose them. Yeah, you lose a lot of fish. So you should be winding them to the surface and lift the rod above your head and the fish should swing to you and you grab the line in front of your face in one motion. It's all about keeping tension. You'd, I I don't think I've broken a rod doing that properly. Uh, maybe... Reece Stanley has. Uh, he broke... Yep, salmon. I remember. Oh. I was trying to think what it was. It was a salmon. <laughs> but he didn't do it properly. <laughs> no, he didn't. It's, too- a, it's a good point when you talk about... Uh, the rod to choose, you're not actually basing it off the fish. You're basing it off the conditions that yeah, you use it. In. Yeah, spot on. You could, And that's for every fish you catch, whether it's a GT or whatever it is. You need to base the fish off what you're doing. And I have my traditional whiting rod, which I fish in your slower water, and I've got the, that heavier one that I fish in the deep water or in the fast water. And a lot of the local guys, they still use bloody snapper rods back to tell you the truth. So they're using some seriously heavy gear. But you don't need to go that. That's too... They just haven't upgraded yep. with the technology that's come through. So using your bit heavier whiting rod, your reels, you can match it. You don't need to go up more on your reels. Whiting ain't going to pull line. And yep. from a 2,000 to 2.5 to a 3, not a hell of a lot of difference. I'd just stick with your 2.5. I'd not be. i just be taking it off your other reel. To save you a dollar, I'm talking. Yep. Don't stress too much. Braid, I wouldn't change. I run 10 pound all the time. You are fishing heavy reef. You're going to have the odd bust-ups. Whether you have 20-pound or 10-pound, you still ain't going to pull that sinker out. So it's up to yourself what you want to use, but I wouldn't be changing that. Just your 10-pound, 12-pound. Uh, your leader, I use just your normal 12-pound. I don't change that. I still 12 to 15, 10 if you really want to. Don't get too fussy. 10 to 15-pound, I'll put it at that, and you're going to catch fish. I know a lot of local boys are using 20 at times. They still catch fish too. It gets a bit thick for me. It's not so much the fish won't eat it. It's a bit thick on the end of the hook size that you're using. Length of the leader? Like I said, some people will run two metre lengths of leader in these tide. I just use my stock standard. I'm going to say 1.2. Yep. 
not even. If I've lost a couple of hooks, it might end up being 50 centimetre at times. Yep. Don't get too fussy. The long, Where I'd get fussy is if there's no tide, shortening that leader so you don't have the... the, 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 the you don't have it falling on itself and tangling on the braid because the tide holds it straight, where if you've got no tide, you swing around. Yep. If you've got a long leader, it'll tangle on itself. Uh, hook sizes, I've gone up to the size four worm hook for these bigger fish. It's a bigger gape. It works. You can even go even bigger if you want because these fish are huge. I didn't. I did three or four sessions there over the past weeks and a bit since a weekend probably. Mm. Haven't got a fish under forty, and got fish up to fifty. They're That's massive. A good size yeah, fish, as good yeah. as it gets here in Port Phillip Bay. Uh, what I always like to talk about is your water temp changing. So what's actually happening now? The ocean is warmer than what the uh, what the bay is. So the bay is at thirteen point two, and the ocean's above fourteen. So it's actually made that transition now and those ocean currents on the flood are pushing in the bottom end of the bay and the flood tide is working really well and the ebb tide is too because it's getting the leftover warm water sitting in Swan Bay but that flood tide is fantastic to fish with that ocean current coming in and these are your big ocean fish so we don't often get this size fish in these areas through summer we do at times you might get them on a few times but no consistency in it so this is the time that water and offshore fishing for whiting is fantastic also this time of the year swell versus wind i need to wrap it up in a second but swell versus wind you've got big swell coming through this time of the year as well the winter swell, as we call it, if you're a surfer, your Easter swell, similar type of swell that comes down that's from the southwest, and it comes in and brings that dirty water with that flood tide, and that's when we get those whiting. And it's not specifically on the day when the swell is six metres in the ocean, because fishing around the bottom end of the heads can be very, very hard when you've got a six-metre swell, because what happens is it comes in and it drags you side to side with the surge, and all you do is snag. So you want to fish the days after. So And, and when you've got big tides... The water already dirties itself up. Wind doesn't play a massive role down the bottom end, so I'll just leave that out. The size of fish is huge, and the bait, a bit of pipion with a squid. If you can get them to bite on squid, awesome. Burley is the key, though. Heavy lead cage, a couple of dive weights in the bottom of your lead cage, load up with pillies, you smash it, and you drop it in, you will catch more fish than the bloke next to you. So that there is Red's review on your big winter whiting in down in the Port Phillip Bay heads. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. It's time for Red's tip for new age caravans designed for the road ahead, Redmond. The tip this week is setting your brakes on an electric uh, trailer or on your car to your electric trailer. So a lot of people don't know where to actually run basically your gauge and it runs from 0 to 10, Pat, as you know. Uh, setting the controller to midpoint. So your first step, set it to your midpoint. So run on about 5. Now, you need to be smart with this. Don't be dumb and go try this on a highway, but do it at the front of your house or down a quiet road or somewhere away. But if you want to do it properly, once you've set it to five, now drive to about roughly 40 kilometres and pull up like you're trying to stop. Actually pull up. And what will happen, though, if the vehicle feels like, if your car feels like it's being pushed by the trailer, there isn't enough braking, so you need to add a bit. Yeah. Yeah. If the wheels lock up and you start doing skiddies down the road, which you're not going to be at 40, it's a safe speed, uh, you've got a bit too much. So... Finding that balance in between is what you need to do it. So you need to increase it and uh, and, and decrease to what the feel, going by feel, yep. and the gauge that I use is if it locks up too much, too much, if it's not feeling like, if the cart boat feels like it's pushing you too much, which you will feel at 40 kilometres, it's a safe speed to do it and just find somewhere safe to do it. So that's the tip this week. You need to also, whoever you're purchasing the boat off, whether it be privately um, bought, ask them what they've done, 
or if it's a dealership, they'll give you a bit of an indication. Because, yeah, most of them will know I, with cars. Yeah, I read mine at three. Like, I had it really low. Yep. Just for some reason, the red arc that I had, it was just lower. So, um, each their own. That was Reg's tip for New Age Caravans. Take your caravan experience to the next level. New Age Caravans designed for the road ahead. It's time for the flying gaff, and you're finishing us off for the weekend. Can, I, can I take it this week? Absolutely. During the week, and I've only got a minute to talk about it, so it's a bit five-minute story. But we had a very near incident fishing on these big whiting at Queenscliff. We had guys dragging their anchors around while they were trying to mark, uh, trying to get on a mark, picking up other anchors and causing some serious havoc. Old Tony from Queenscliff, very close friend of mine. We our love good, him. Our good mate of the show. He's he's a fantastic whiting fisherman. He doesn't deserve what he went through during the week. He nearly had his boat flipped upside down by getting dragged by another anchor with a tide pulling him the other way with water coming on the side. It was no good. Horrible feeling. When you are coming down to Queenscliff, I want everyone to come down and enjoy the fishing we have. Fish to your skill. Don't try and get into an area that he was trying to get in. Anchor 15 metres away. He was trying to get into a gap of about ten five, or 8 to 10 metres, which is fine. We accept that. We, that's how we fish at Queenscliff. But fish to your ability. If you can't anchor your boat properly in a spot and not crash into boats like this fella did and cause some serious damage and lives at risk, don't do it. That's the gaff this week. It's going to the bloke that was, I'm going to call it, an idiot. He just crashed into someone. Then he decided to drive away with his anchor out, as he does regularly, and he dragged anchors with him and caused havoc. So he gets the gaff this week, and I don't want to see him at Queensliff again because that was scary. If you want info on learning to manoeuvre your boat, you can head to Aaron's website, saltguide.com.au. It's, this has been an absolute pleasure, Redmond. As always, I'm going to training, you're going fishing. This has been Real Adventures. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.